1926. There were only like 40 papers at that point. I'm sure you read it. Hello, and welcome to episode 37 of Major Revisions. I'm Grace Wilkinson of Iowa State University, and with me, as always, is John Walter at the University of Virginia and Jeff Atkins at Virginia Commonwealth University. I don't know if you all saw, but there was a post on dynamic ecology this week that was has started some conversation, and it's about contrarian ideas in ecology. Did you all read that? I did. I am aware, Yes. <laughs> I haven't read the comments yet. Yeah, they t- I know I should read the comments. <laughs> the comments is where the real discussion is, and I haven't read them yet. Hold on. Oh, that's so true. Uh, they tell you in improv when you're when you're trying to get somebody to respond to you, you ask them a question with a dead end like that, right? Um, yes. Yes, no. and so instead of yes, just having and. read it, what did you exactly? <laughs> what did you all think of it? So I guess some of the contrary and ideas, right, were that. Um, the intermediate disturbance hypothesis, which we have dedicated an entire episode to, right? And it's bunk. Mm-hmm. Um, what were some of the other ones? Species interactions being stronger and more specialized in the tropics. People were skeptical of that. Any ones that stood out to you all? Um, the one with uh, Brian McGill and uh, skeptical of the idea that local species local species richness is uh, declining So skeptical of the idea that local species richness um, is declining everywhere kind of a controversial result but honestly it's something so that i want to read a little bit more about i don't know enough of the real literature on that per se yeah that's a cool one um i mean there's interest there's a an interesting one about um microcosms and we've talked a lot about microcosms um at least among the three of us john john what's your what's your take on the microcosm mesocosm type experiments well you know, you kind of. I think we may have lost Grace. I hope that's only temporary. We lost Grace. All right. Oh no! Just power through. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of mesocosms? Um, you know, there's sort of this, uh, you know, realism versus um, control trade-off. Um, you know, some of the really cool mesocosm work or microcosm work that I can think of. Um, you know, there's some real benefits to be, being able to test theory because of the level of control that they offer. Um, but there's still, at least in my opinion, a leap to go to get to the realism of, uh, you know, field observations or, uh, or even a field experiment under more uh, more realistic conditions, you know, more stochasticity and, um, you know, underlying heterogeneity and things like that. Uh, but I think they can be valuable. I think that there are also criticisms of them that are valid. Yeah, so I, I kind of think of them, I mean, I don't think, they're not useless. I think that's that's the strong contrarian opinion here that I don't think many people would agree with um the i think the thing that we came up with because like i think the the common wisdom is to think of it as like this continuum 
um, you know, where it's field experiments and kind of on one end and like modeling on the other. And you have the whole that is a continuum and that mesocosms or microcosms fit somewhere in between. But I think we came up with the idea of the triangle of truth, right? That it's really kind of like this third leg where maybe real truth is kind of somewhere in between. They all fit like a different type of, uh, they all have a different use, right? Like you can go out and model anything that you want, you know, whereas you can't necessarily collect all the field data in the world that you want. And the field, you can't control for everything. So a lot of times in ecological experiments, a mesocosm or microcosm can help you control some exogenous factor. And you know, focus on the experiment. They're all, it's like anything on this list. It depends. That's my answer to any of it. So maybe I don't have a strong contrarian opinion to anything. Um, let me try to add yeah, this again. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a strong contrarian either. Um, I personally think that a lot of these, um, a lot of these ideas and, you know, and, and a lot of, um, you know, things that, um, that have been considered zombie ideas in, uh, in ecology in Jeremy's parlance. Um, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to, sort of overextension or misapplication of, of ideas. You know, I, I don't think that there are that many things that get published um, these days that are categorically wrong, but there are a lot of things that, um, you know, people don't really get the full story. Um, and so the, the idea sort of becomes kind of bastardized or overgeneralized. Um, and, you know, and, and, and maybe that's a little bit on the originators of the idea too, for, um, throwing things out there that are, that are vague and, and easy to be, um, sort of co-opted for different uses. But, um, I don't know. My sense is that, you know, over-application or misapplication, um, can explain a lot of these, um, cases, um, more so than, than things just being really off base. Grace, what about you? What's your zombie idea? Contrarian idea? Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you can say I don't have one, that's okay. I, I don't have one, but from the original post that, you know, that we were discussing, um, the, uh, author's idea that the value of microcosm experiments in ecology, um, has largely been, is a minority view and been put to rest, I think is not a minority view, but that's, I don't know. I'm an ecosystem ecologist, so. I what, about the latitudinal, what, what about the latitudinal gradient thing? This is one that keeps showing up in the comments. You know, I really don't know enough about it. Yeah, maybe I don't either. I remember Cal explaining to me why fish change in size as you move north. But now I don't remember what it is. Why is that, Grace? Why do fish change in size when I move north? Like, why are bass smaller, I guess, in Minnesota than they are in Florida? 
Uh, well, I don't know the exact reason Cal gave you, so I'm going to, like, asterisk cop out that I'm not more of a fisheries person. But I will say that likely, maybe one of the reasons was because, um, well, first of all, if you think about day length and the amount of primary productivity that those systems are supporting, right? So you need a strong base to build a good, hefty top predator. And so if you have a oligotrophic lake that only has... I don't know, 125 days without ice on it and not a ton of sunlight and no nutrients, it's really hard to grow big bass. Boom. I thought it was temperature, so that makes sense. Yours is a better well, explanation. Well, that has to do with that prim- Well, that has to do with that primary productivity thing too, right? Can I tell you guys the embarrassing so. thing that happened to me this week? Um, so I work what? in a biology department, right? Um, I'm not a biologist. I don't know anything about biology. Um, you can listen to episodes on this show and realize that I don't know anything about biology. But... Um, I'm auditing a class in graphic design that's co-taught by a biology professor and an art professor. And our assignment this week is to get into logo design. And we were reviewing uh, logos um, from past classes. And there was a particularly good one. It was pretty good. I was trying to, you know, the, the assignment was to kind of look at this and, like, talk about how, you you know, you feel about the other logos and kind of pick out what it was. And this one looked like an elephant to me. And, um, you know, I had the description of what she studied. She studied zebrafish. And I was like, no, it's really good. It looks really cool. It just, I don't get why it's an elephant. And she studies zebrafish reproduction. And so Daniel, the biology professor, uh, great guy, he's like, don't you work in this department? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, you realize that's like the zygote or something splitting, right? And I was like, no. He's like, don't you have a PhD in biology? I was like, no, I don't have a PhD in biology. I haven't taken a biology class in, I don't know. It's been like a decade or more. I don't know anything about that. Like, that's, that's a zygote? He's like, yeah, all zygotes or whatever look the same at stage six or seven. I was like, I don't know what stage six or seven is. I don't t- I'm not a biologist. He's like, how do you work here? I was like, I work in forest for one. <laughs> Two, I just shoot lasers at them and do all the remote sensing work. I was like, my PhD is in like biogeochemistry. Um, so yeah, I don't know anything about biology in short. Uh, oh my gosh, Jeff, I hear you. I'm laughing so hard because I have had many the same experience here at ISU because I'm in a biology department and we do not have biology degrees. And there are some times where I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure this is an obvious biological concept to everyone else, but I took that course over a decade ago, so I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I And it's I embarrassing as hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know what, bi- you know what, biologist? Once you come outside, because I know you're afraid of, like, sunlight and everything, and you're sitting there at your little lab bench. <laughs> I'm going to throw it That's down That's right. You go do a million lakes in Iowa. How many lakes are there in Iowa, Grace? Well, the number that we sample are 130. Yeah, you go do 130 lakes in Iowa. Three times. Yeah. Or you try to go mathematically model something. (laughs) Actually, actually, biologists are are kind of of good good at that. Um, Just they usually model different things than I do. Uh, but hey, I don't know why bio- I'm trying to start a fight with biologists. I like biologists. They're, some of my best friends are biologists. <laughs> Jeff, what's what's your undergrad degree in? Besides English, uh, my, my undergraduate degree is specifically in uh, literature, and um, with a, a minor in film studies. Um, and in my literature program, my 
senior paper was on uh, the works uh, or like an eco-critical look at John Steinbeck, particularly at the idea of how place influences um, perspective. That sounds really cool and super nerdy at the same time. Oh yeah, it was fun. Well, my <laughs> our 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 head of the department at the time who taught the senior capstone course is like a John Steinbeck scholar. So by default, everyone's paper that year was on John Steinbeck. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't really get a choice. <laughs> but I did a lot of, uh, my independent study work was in uh, existential uh, literature and particularly like, um, I don't know, I had a crazy guy who taught, um, who directed it. So I did a lot of reading in like Sartre and Nietzsche and all that junk and Kierkegaard. See, and... that's that's at least better. My yeah. senior year, my final ethics credit, I had to take it from a scholar who was an Immanuel Kant scholar, and no one is more boring than Immanuel Kant. And if you <laughs> oh. want to, you can fight me. Like Kant's I would take worst. Kierkegaard any day. Any oh, day. I like Kierkegaard. Yeah, I love Kierkegaard. So, so I don't yeah, understand so I don't, Kierkegaard, I don't but I love Kierkegaard. Well, you, you should just be afraid of death and know that you're going to die, but, like, God's kind of involved. That's basically Kierkegaard. <laughs> he's he's tangential to the <laughs> Yeah, like, he's there. So. <laughs> oh, my I goodness. Any, I haven't read any Kierkegaard in a long time. I, uh, so I tried speaking, to force a lot of my... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was just going to try to pivot us into our topic. <laughs> this sounds better, so go for it. No, no, I'm just, I'm just ranting at this point. So our topic this week. So I was good. Yes. Continuing. Is, uh, me- um, Gleason, 1926, right? So speaking of theory, let's talk about some theory. Right. We're continuing in our third part of our delve into classic ecology, looking at Henry Gleason's pivotal 1926 work. I'm looking up the title of it now as I'm waiting. To make sure that I don't say it, the individualistic concept of the plant association. So this is one of my favorite of the old works, um, if not solely because it's a challenging piece in that, like Gleason is staking out a claim that goes heavily against the orthodoxy of the time. And so you got to remember, kind of early twentieth century. Uh, a lot of the ideas of how plant communities evolved really kind of centers around the concept of Henry Cowles, who worked in the Indiana Dunes, and this idea of succession, right? So this is like 1899, the Cowles, the big Cowles paper. I guess it was actually a book. <clears throat> we went out and looked at, you know, these Indiana Dunes, the succession of dunes and vegetation communities that build off of Lake Michigan, with the concept of being that initially right there at the sand of the lake, you kind of have like primary succession, and then as you move for- further in, you know, you start off with like the grass to the shrub communities, eventually to the forest, right? So you're actually seeing this kind of space for time succession in real time. And so kind of concurrent, I guess a little bit later than Cal's was, um, old Frederick Clements, Frederick Clements, who, uh, his love of classification came up with the idea of the climax system, right? And so the climax is this idea really of what ought to be there and that any system has a climax state that it should that's that's what it's it's hitting towards and really so everything is constantly in a circle right and so if it's not at its climax state it's either in an aggrading state where it's post climax and it's kind of coming back around to that 
I guess that would be the degrading state. And the degrading state where it's building to that climax, right? So it's always constantly working towards that goal, uh, which really kind of sounds like some kind of weird teleological philosophical thing in itself. Um, there was a lot of problems, though, with, with Clement's theory, and, and Gleason was really one of the most vocal, uh, if not one of the, not necessarily the first to kind of advocate against that. You know, there were others at the time. But, um, Gleason started to kind of, I guess by the teens, actually, like 1916, 1917, he was publishing works saying, there's some problems with this climax ideas, guys. It's really kind of more inherent upon the individual aspects of the community. And what actually, when there's vegetation there, the vegetation there is a product basically of, you know, the climate or the actually occurrences at that system, you know, that point in time. And also basically what was there that got it there, kind of like a pioneer effect. And so in this paper, he, in no uncertain terms, lays out this foundation, very detailed. But I'm going to find the part where he really throws down the straight fire here. I marked it. Um, so are we not justified in coming to the general conclusion, far removed from the prevailing opinion that an association is not an organism Scarcely a vegetational unit, but merely a coincidence. Because one important aspect of Clements's work is not only the climax aspect, but this idea that he thought a vegetation community was like an organism in itself. Which is like the really big thing that's fallen out of favor. Because you'll still see people referring to climax communities. But this whole idea of like a super organism was something even at the time like Tansley had a problem with. And was pointing out kind of the holes in Clements's theory. But that's yeah. kind of the Clements background. Was... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to comment that, like, Clements was really one for, like, words and the way that things were specifically classified. Um, oh, my God. There's really important. so many classifications in here. Yeah. Do you guys have the, um, do you have the Foundations of Ecology book? Do either of you yeah. have that? Yep. Yeah, so this one's great because it basically goes one, two, three. It goes Cal's, Clements, and then Gleason as like the first three foundational papers in here. And the Clements stuff is just brutal to get through. Yeah, it is. Because he has these whole idea of like serial units that build up to the climax, the association, the consociation, the fasciation, lociation, association, lamination, satiation, clan. <laughs> and then within each one of those, there's serial units of the associates, the consoces, faces, loces. I don't even know. I can't pronounce some of these. And he was apparently. So and, and I'm sure you guys already, you probably already know this, but like. So after this paper, like Gleason published another paper in 1927 that's in ecology that's really just kind of restating what was in this piece, um, kind of refining it a little bit more, but basically fell off the face of the earth as far as ecology after that and just moved over, you know, to the Bronx and just became like a botanist and taxonomist at that point. And yeah. part of that was because Clements was apparently a total asshole, like at meetings. And so like, I don't think he really... I don't want to go into limits if I'm wrong this, but I don't think there was much refutation of Gleason from Clements in writing so much as it was just Clements was such a big deal at the time that it basically just shot him down, right? And so it wasn't really yeah, until after I've... Clements had died that Gleason's ideas were picked up by Whitaker and others in like the fifties and sixties. Because Gleason basically turned out to be right about most stuff, and like that's the basis of a lot of vegetation ecology now. 
But yeah, Grace, you know, do you know much of that story? Clements. No, I was just gonna say I don't think Clements ever responded to Gleason in writing, right? Yeah, I don't think he did, but he definitely was very vocal about it. From yeah. what I've heard from from older folks, um, who I imagine probably heard it secondhand too. I mean, we're talking about arguments in the twenties and thirties here, and it wasn't like Clements didn't put his pen. He didn't really, you know, get to his magnum opus to like thirty six. So he was, I mean, publishing, like, small units on this at the time as far as, like, the Climax community and everything. But, yeah, his big fundamental work, I think, is 1936. So that's even after, like, Tansley, you know, the concept of vegetation terms paper in, like, 35 that already refuted a lot of, like, what Clements has said. But Tansley stuck out, like, this kind of weird middle point where he wanted to embrace some of the aspects of Clements but also some of the organism, superorganism stuff he wasn't wholly comfortable with which is obvious because it's total craziness but yeah you know i know a lot of clement's ideas haven't held strong but i was teaching community ecology today as the lecture and intro bio and i could tell the students were just overwhelmed by the amount of terminology that's a part of community ecology and the way that things are defined and whatnot and now i'm just going to go back and be like you can blame clements <laughs> this is the guy right here <laughs> I think also I will try not to ask you about a lot of these terms on the final, but I mean they were just, no, just overwhelmed. Screw them, just give it to them. Ask them to Yeah. So I think this is also with Clements and Cows particularly, this is a really good example of having a limited study system that leads you to what you feel is a fairly obvious conclusion. Right? Because a lot of uh, Clements' work was in prairies and then some kind of western conifer that were the edge of the prairies, which, for all intents and purposes, basically are climax communities, right? I mean, these are systems that are fairly constrained, you know, fairly well constrained as far as what can actually be there because of climate in some respects, right? They're not, you know, there's not a lot of water. There's only so much stuff that can grow there. There's a limited kind of species pool. A prairie is basically going to be a prairie, right? You know, Western conifer forest. I need to look up exactly where he was because I'm trying to remember. But, you know, a lot of times those are fairly like one or two species. So there's really only a couple things it's going to be. So if you really only limit your work to that area, I can see how one would get to this opinion. Like, well, obviously it's a climax community. This is what's going to be there. But when you look at... um you know, Gleason, who actually even talks about in his papers, like the more he traveled and the more different systems that he saw, the more that he further, re- you know, refined this idea of the individualistic community because he saw like, well, obviously this can't be the, pl- you know, this can't be a climax community in this case because there's, you know, this massive mosaic within the landscape, within the forest or with, you know, whatever else is out there. So one thing that, that I'm kind of curious about here and, and don't have great perspective on is... What what's the role of species interactions in 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 Clements and in in Gleason? I mean, I guess uh, you know, really tight associations between species would be inherent um, in this sort of superorganism concept. But um, I don't know where do where do they shake out in Gleason's view? So. The um, 
Foundations of Ecology has a really good essay written by Sharon, how do you say the last name, Kingswold? And she actually ran it. Yeah, Kingsland. Kingsland. And she has a good point on Clements here. I'm trying to find it for you. Um, Because like I said, she thinks about Clements a lot of times as the competition aspect is more plant, like interspecies. I think think it's an interspecies competition that he, she highlights that he does. Because he often thought of the system as like an organism in and of itself. Right? And so there's not really... I don't think he does a very mature um, description or consideration of competition. But let me find the lines. You can riff on that for a minute if you want. I'm going to find the line. I guess I didn't realize, you know, also also looking at this, that um, Clemens was influenced by the Lamarckian model of evolution and not the Darwinian model. So that also sort of led him down the wrong path. Ooh. Which is weird to think about, isn't it? Like, it's... Yeah. Uh, where the hell is it? Yeah, so... And Grace, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, on my interpretation of this. But, um... I think Gleason's idea of competition... I don't. I, mean, I don't. I don't think either one do a really good, robust idea of what competition is. Like, I don't think that's something that's. I mean, we're talking about really early idea of community ecology of even classifying what type of forest it is, right? Um, yeah. But you know, like Gleason's idea is what those individual competition type models are built on. Like, this is kind of just the aegis of that. And mm-hmm. so he's talking more about how the you know physiological responses. To geographical locations in the surrounding vegetation of that area, and how the limiting how the limiting thing really is environmental conditions. Mm-hmm. And um, I think what's fascinating for him, he doesn't really do. He does go into a, a quite a, a, a bit talking about seed dispersal, that is not so much as in Clements, and the idea there of what you know you have to have actually gotten the seed there that actually could be the plant that could grow there. And then you also have to have the conditions that could then grow that seed. And it doesn't matter necessarily where it is, just that those conditions have to be there, that it's not the geography or the position per se. It's rather the environmental conditions that are in turn modulated by the geography. Right. And I think that's the, a big important kind of jump. Because um, in a way, he's, he's really talking about kind of microclimatology type things, which is really, really interesting for something that's, you know, almost 100 years old now. Well, and, and even sort of thinking about, like, the niche, right? Or yeah, I mean, this is really, like, pro- this, this is really... Niche. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely, like, yeah. pro- proto-niche type stuff mm-hmm. before that was even a thing. Who was the niche so person, by the way? Oh, I knew you were going to ask that. Sorry, community colleagues are listening. Uh, Google can tell me. I knew all these things from my comps. MacArthur? Uh, I think MacArthur? No, it's, uh, Charles Elton is the, um, the more, like, role-based, um, niche, like, who eats who, basically. Um, because he's an animal ecologist, and, uh, 
uh, Grinnell is the habitat-based niche. Um, but the, the, the Eltonian niche is older than, than this. Um, and as Wikipedia tells me, um, the Grinnellian niche is also older than this. Um, so this is, this isn't really proto niche. This is maybe, um, maybe, you know, reacting a little bit to, um, to earlier work that established these different ideas of what a niche is in ecology. And, and Literally, the next paper is the Grinnell niche paper. Oh, fellas. <laughs> Oops. Uh, we messed I, that up. And this is 1917, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I would imagine that Gleason had probably read uh, Grinnell's paper. Um well, it's 1926. There were only like 40 papers at that point. I'm sure you read it. Yeah. Lucky bastards. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Every year they're probably like, oh, there were eight. It's going to be a lot of reading to do. Jeez. How, di- how different would our field be, or how different would our careers be if our field was still that young and that small it's um you ever read that book uh the malcolm gladwell the outliers book or whatever nope Mm-mm. i mean it's whatever pseudoscience but it, it makes a, a good uh, some interesting points about um uh, that kind of thing like what was the best year to be born and one of the years that he picks i forget what it was it was basically you know kind of earlier in the century where you I can't remember if it was before or after the baby. I think it was like right after the baby boom or something. And so basically because you were born into such a small birth year, if your birth year is smaller, i.e. like there's fewer people born and there was a large birth, you know, cohort before you, you basically go in and a lot of times you have better teachers because there's more, you know, that older birth cohort, they're competing for jobs. So there's more highly educated people who need other jobs. So your teachers are better. There's fewer people to compete against, right? So it just makes everything easier. So in turn, I think everything would just be easier. <laughs> I mean, if you look at like yeah. the late 90s, if you talk to older people now who are professors, when they came out in the late 90s, like most of them just got jobs. Yeah, I think really tellingly, an older colleague said to me recently, if I were on the job market today, I, there's no way I would have gotten a job. Like, just the amount that's... Anyway, sorry, we're getting into a topic that depresses all of us. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) But, but, you know, along those lines, what... um, You know the phrase, sometimes you're the windshield, sometimes you're the bug? Mm -hmm. The being in a a field in this sort of nascent stage, like Clements and Gleason, like, sometimes you're the Clements, sometimes you're the Gleason. Yeah, I mean... like, you could be widely known for being wrong. I mean, if if you ever... I'm sure you guys have done this, but like people listening, like if you get an opportunity to go back and look at some of these older textbooks, like just an early issue of ecology, I mean, yeah, every now and then there's, there's, um, what was that? That was my alarm going off. Oh, <laughs> that was scary. I'm frightened. <laughs> but if you, if you, I'm sorry. No, I don't swear that. If you, you, you go back and read these, like, yeah, there's some winners in there, but occasionally there's just some stuff that eh, didn't stick, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, they can't all be yeah, runners. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yes, so, exactly. Uh, can you imagine how difficult it was, though, just to do science? Well, like you, that's probably why upper middle class and rich white men did it. Yeah. Like, if you read, like, Lucy Braun's stuff, like, Lucy Braun's stuff in the 50s was just excruciatingly difficult. And But she made, like, huge advances just by being able to get a car and drive around and study stuff. Like, yeah. that was... That was the breakthrough. It was the car. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know. That's what's kind of fascinating to read these things because you're like, oh my god, I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I've been really fascinated too about the different structures of papers or or the lack of structure. Uh, oh yeah, for I don't sure. Because right? like. Gleason just kind of goes on and on and on, and, like, he's building a logical argument, and it doesn't read like a scientific paper. Like, this is not, like, introduction, methods, results, discussion. This is all, like, here's my idea. Now I'm just going to go and just build on it. And it much more reads, like, an essay than it does, you know, a, a standard scientific paper. And a lot of them, in fact, are that way from the older mm-hmm. part. Yeah, I'd be interested to find out about sort of the history of the structure of scientific papers. So if anybody listening has any information on that or whatnot, I want to know when the current structure sort of came about and why. Oh, like, so, like, when that codification kind of... Yeah. That would be really interesting. I wonder. And I wonder if it deferred by fields. Yeah. I I like this make-an-argument-write-an-essay style. Yeah, I, I wonder a bit whether a lot of whether a disproportionate number of the papers that we kind of read as classics are a little bit unusual even for the time because they're sort of idea papers and and a lot of them aren't really data papers. Mm. Um, and, yeah, and, that's a good point. And we still have those... Um, yeah, I mean, they're definitely still around. I mean, like, a uh, new phytologist in particular has, like, those Tansley Insight pieces that, you know, really kind of focus on, you know, allow people to kind of riff on things. I think, was it, is it Ecosphere that has the um, uh, Viewpoints papers? Um, oh, it might Yeah, be. I mean, like, those things are there. They're just fewer and, you know, farther between and much better peer reviewed nowadays than they used to be. Yeah. However, mm-hmm. I would love to have read the reviews on this one. And I don't know. Do you yeah, know? That's... Do you know why it was in the bulletin of the Tory Club? Tory Botanical no, Club. No, but I've been trying to look up the history of this journal. Why it's a good it journal. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not 100 percent sure. I know, maybe somebody out there knows. I would love to know. But there are occasionally like absolutely stellar papers that pop up in this journal. Um, but it's a fairly, you know, kind. Of, I think it was. I think it was more prestigious back in the day, but it's definitely mm. kind of a smaller run thing, but still around. So, can we just take a moment to go back to a comment that you made earlier? So, Gleason was had these brilliant ideas and was putting them out there. Was dissatisfied with what he was reading and was adding his own voice and ideas and thoughts. And they were so roundly disputed and hated by a big fat jerk. Mm-hmm. That yes. he left the field. He yeah, well, he ended up moving. So 
actual trajectory here of Gleason's career, you know, you know, did his BS at Illinois, got a master's at Illinois, went on to Columbia, got his PhD uh, in 1906. And so after that, like he taught botany at the University of Illinois for a while, eventually became a professor at Michigan, um, left in 1916, became a professor of botany, or no, I guess he left Michigan in 1919, right? Yeah. And left in 1919 from Michigan to go to the New York Botanical Garden. So basically left the field in 1919, published this during the twenties and then didn't really publish much else as far as this type of research after that. Like he went into just kind of doing applied botany after that until he retired. Hmm. And, um, yeah, that was just kind of, I mean, there's a bunch of, and we can post a lot on this. Like people have written different essays on this, like contrasting and comparing, uh, Gleason and Clements and kind of talking a little bit about, you know, the general ideas. Um, I haven't seen a really good, write-up of the history that's much better than just, like, his Wikipedia page. Like, his Wikipedia page is pretty solid. Um, Mm. And uh, as far as, like, you know, scientist Wikipedia pages, like, his is pretty well fleshed out. Uh, Let me see if I can find some of the highlights on here. But, yeah, outside of that, if there's a really good write-up, I would love to read it. So, Jeff, can I ask, you know, we, the three of us, were sitting in Howie Epstein and Manuel Odo's Terrestrial Ecology class and talked these two papers, uh, mm. sorry, as a lake person, to death. Um, and <laughs> I know it wasn't the, the first time that we had been exposed to these concepts because we'd all taken ecology courses, but it was maybe one of the first times at least I had really, like, struggled with these papers in depth. Um but they haven't had a huge lasting impression on me. Have they had a very large lasting impression on you or the way that you think about? Yeah, they definitely have on me. Um, something just fell in my house. But no, um, yeah, so this has definitely been one that's kind of stuck with me. And because, well, okay, so here's my major problem with the Clements paper. And why I naturally gravitate towards the Gleason one is I want you to compare and contrast how they start. And so if you look at the very big Clements paper, The Nature and Structure of the Climax, the first couple lines. More than a century ago, when Lewis and Clark set out upon their memorable journey across the continent of North America, they were the first to traverse the great climaxes from deciduous woods in the east through the vast expanse of prairie and plain to the majestic coniferous forest of the northwest. At this time, the oak hickory woodland beyond the Appalachians was almost untouched by the axe, except in the neighborhood of a few straggling pioneer settlements. Blah, 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 blah. So, like, super strong. Like, like colonizer-type view. Like, I'm not, I mean, I'm going to throw a little shade on Clements. I'm not going to go super far on this. But I, this doesn't have any appeal to me. It's the thing that I didn't like about biology in the first place. The idea of trying to name and dissect and categorize everything. Whereas the Gleason paper immediately starts out where he just starts out picking a fight. (laughs) 
the continued activity yeah. of European ecologists and to a somewhat smaller extent of American ecologists as well in discussing the fundamental nature, structure, and classification of plant associations and their apparently chronic inability to come to any general agreement in these matters. And he goes on saying, like, none of this matters. He's sticking out this claim that what matters is more of this idea of what actually is controlling the process. So he's focusing on this idea of the process and the mechanism not trying to categorize everything. And I don't think he fully gets there, right? Like, he doesn't. It's 1926. He's fleshing out some of these ideas. I would have loved to have seen him stick with this. Um, yeah. You know, he went on to be a hugely influential figure in plant taxonomy. So this is just, you know, what he did early in career and was just diverted from that. But, I mean, he laid down a lot of the groundwork for basically plant ecology that was the last half of the century. But this whole idea of what happens is a function of the surrounding environment, but actually, like, what is actually happening there. Like, it's really process-based and mechanistic-based. That is not in Clements and is not in Cowles. Like, they're looking... They're trying to impose an order on the universe, and Gleason isn't. It's very Jeffersonian of them, that imposing order. Yeah. It's, you know, it's... And I think that's what what is appealing to me, is that Gleason isn't trying to do that. Like he's mm-hmm. trying to understand. Well, the underlying thing is these processes that control this, and that we understand this by if we look at the individual. And so he's kind of bringing this kind of bottom up view of ecology instead of forcing this rigid structure down that doesn't necessarily isn't really it's a construction it's a construct right it's just a construct, and yeah. he's not going with that and so i can appreciate that as a non-biologist but also i just think that it's more (laughs) of a i don't know it's more of a truer thing like trying to actually understand something instead of foisting what you believe to be right about the universe onto it so that's one of the things that stuck with me about it um john did you have a overwhelmingly negative view of this paper as well if you did it's okay no i i mean this is probably the third time that I've thought about it in my life, in Howie's class, <laughs> studying for my comps, and doing this episode, um, but but I don't but like I don't really do communities ecology very much. I don't really do plants very much, um, and I don't know like the way that I think I'm more of like a you know synthesizer than a person to. Um, sort of dwell on and, you know, be particularly inspired by any, um, you know, any, any paper, to be honest. Um, and you know, I think you could make the argument that this is in effect an anti-community ecology, community ecology paper, because by the end, like Gleason throws up his hands and says, yeah, we're never going to understand this. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's why I like it too. (laughs) (laughs) huh i never thought about it because i'm not really i mean we've all been to some degree critical of community ecology yes well there's a lot to be critical of (laughs) (laughs) that's my contrarian view critical uh, community ecology is not really a thing (laughs) and if you'd like to fight us please email us (laughs) we'd happily have you on the show yeah i mean oh goodness I don't know. Absolutely. I, 
I feel like this is about as egalitarian as a paper you're going to get in early ecology. Um, I think there's a more deeply philosophical meaning to this paper than some people give it credit for. Or maybe look into it. I think there's the surface level of saying, like, he's, you know, subverting some of, you know, Clements's and Cal's and other people's ideas. Um, but I think it goes, it goes more than that. And I think it does build a really strong basis that, you know, particularly Whitaker built a lot on. Um, and others as well. But I think Robert Whitaker really took this one and kind of ran with it, too. Um, mm. If anything, I think Tansley... Tansley never gets compared and contrasted as much as he often should, I think, to some of these guys. Because he kind of falls in the middle in a weird way. It's not a triangle of truth. It's more of a, a spectrum type thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that all three of these, with the lesser extent, the Clements ones, because I think the Clements ones you can basically kind of get a synopsis of and not have to read the whole things. But, like, I think Gleason and Cows, like, both these early works are definitely, like, two that if you're, you know, starting out in ecology, you should really read. And I think, I don't know, this one to me also holds up. Like, it's re-readable. I'd have to take your word for it. <laughs> Spoken like a true limnologist. <laughs> Truth be told, I didn't read it the first time in terrestrial ecology. Sorry, Howie. It's not even that long, um, Grace. Jeez. I know. But what I do remember was the graph of all of the curves for each organism that they drew on the board every single time we talked about this, and I never understood why they kept just drawing curves. <laughs> oh, I get it now, gr- but... Because Gleason doesn't have any plots in it. There's no, no. graphs. Are you talking about Clements? <laughs> yeah, well, and just the common graph that's often used. Yeah, okay, yeah. To talk about the difference between the two of them. Yeah. So we'll post this it on can- the website. This came up in um, in the the show planning document, um, and I'm reading this because I'm also reading a book on this right now. The I don't know why I make a lot of noise. That makes for really good radio. Um, is looking back at the work of Alexander von Humboldt, and so I'm reading the invention mm. of nature. The invention of nature now, and so. I assume, because Humboldt was like 1860, I just assume that they would have, because again, there was like 40 books then, you know, <laughs> that they would have read Humboldt, who basically, you know, just by traveling to South America and walking up the side of the mountain was like, holy shit, things change <laughs> with climate. <laughs> I go from desert to this, to shrubs, to forest, to smaller forest, to shrubs, back to prairie, back to basically tundra, and oh god, it's snow, and I'm freezing to death. You know, like, (laughs) that was a radical thing to understand that, but I don't know, that would be, you know, like, I don't, okay, so, the thing I think about is, um, there's a Bill Bryson book, I can't remember the freaking name of it now, but I recommend reading the Bill Bryson book instead of reading all the other 18, you know, dead white men. But he does a really good synopsis. God, what is the name of the book? It's like Everything to Know or whatever. But anyway, he talks about Agis. Is that how you say that? The I, the glacier guy? Agassiz? Agassiz, yeah. So when he was trying to convey like these ideas to like, the Royal Society or something about how glaciers shape the land, they were like, what are you talking about? Because their whole concept of like ice and snow... 
was whatever piddly ice and snow would fall in like Scotland or something, right? So like a little glaze ah. of ice, and they were like, "How could this tiny little glaze of ice and sleet possibly carve out giant moraines?" And he's like, "No, you don't freaking understand. If you travel up to the Alps, you will see this." And they're like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." And so it's very much similar to like the Clements idea, right? Like if you're only stuck in this one mode, you never visit or see or understand or even contemplate these other aspects. Like you don't even get it. Like you couldn't possibly get it. Um, I need to find, I don't remember the name of the stupid book off the top of my head right now, but there's a brilliant chapter in there and, and, and Bryson does a really good job as far as like a pop lit book of, of relaying that. And, um, so I don't know. It's fascinating to me, like what the interplay was for how a lot of these ideas came to be, and how maybe intertwined a lot of these people were, and how mm-hmm. you know the the twenty five rich white men if they were actually talking to each other um, at the time. I think they were largely. I imagine just sending letters to each other and it takes six months to get anything done, but subjugating well women and their households and everything else at the time. But, um, exactly. Yeah, so that's my take. Maybe a bit too philosophical. No, I enjoy it. That puts a new shine on Clements and Gleason. I think I like it more after this discussion. Yeah, because he was cool. I like, I like Gleason. Hey, Gleason's a cool guy. That's true. I have a much nar- um, narrower and bad opinion of Clements now. So. Yeah, apparently, he was just a jerk, and after he died, then people were like, oh, yeah, Gleason wasn't so bad. <laughs> and that was, uh, basically how it took off. Oh. I think it was Manuel actually was the one who told that story a lot. So where do you guys want to go Manuel. from here? Do we want to do another set of... I think we should do another set. Do you guys know what you would pick? Well, so uh, we've received some suggestions, right? Oh. oh, I think we should do... We should each pick one more ourselves, and we should do three listener-suggested okay. ones. Are we, I would uh, love that. I... Don't know which one I'm going to pick yet, but I would challenge us. We we picked uh, three men who are foundational, <laughs> and in the spirit <laughs> in the spirit of our previous episode where we talked about you know the the hundred papers every student should read debacle, uh, mm-hmm. let's challenge ourselves to pick three non-white men. Grace, there was only one paper that was written by a woman that was any good, though. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Damn it. We can't all pick the same paper. <laughs> three just times. talk about it three Perfect. times. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we'll do a live reading for one of those. No, but so I would, I would, I would challenge us. I have been thinking about this and trying to challenge myself. So let's do that. I think it's a great idea. I like it. Um, yeah, and Grace alluded to this. We have, uh, we had a really exceptional suggestion as far as a listener email about one. Um, but I think the other two slots are open. And so maybe we can drum up some, uh, suggestions and we can put out a Twitter poll maybe and take the two. They get the highest votes. What do you think about that? Absolutely. That sounds legit. That's a great plan. And if you suggest it and you're really passionate about it, we'd be happy to have you on to talk about it as well. Oh yeah. So, Unless you don't it's have one to that if you we, don't want to, though. Is there any paper we want to, like, say, no-go to, that you guys have no desire to ever read again? Uh, Skelb 1951, uh, Random Dispersal and Theoretical Populations. 
Um, I, don't I think, think I'm open to though. anything, but I tend to deal with stress by blocking things out, so it's possible that I just don't remember. I spent a lot of time I, trying to figure out that paper, and because it's it's uh, it's a, a foundational invasion ecology paper, um, but it's really opaque. Like even <laughs> it's really opaque. So um, the moral of the story is. It's foundational, but I don't like it, so I'm not going to pick it. <laughs> and it's also by a white man, so I can't pick it. There we go. All right, well, I'm sure we'll have good ones. No, I was thinking, these are all white men, though. I can't, okay, I'll find it on one. <laughs> You're not going to find it in the Foundation's book. Um, no, there's only one. There's only, there's one. There's one. There's, I mean, you got to have one token one, right? That's how tokens work. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, Margaret Uh, Davis. Climatic change in southern Connecticut recorded by pollen deposition. Roger's like, okay, I don't want to read that one because it's pollen. Um, (laughs) In a lake. Lakes are fine. You know that I'm okay with lakes. I'm 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 not 100 percent sure I've ever finished a a paleoecology paper. I probably should. No, that's not true. Tree ring papers count. (laughs) I've read a lot of tree ring papers. There I'm you sure. Go. Never mind. I just I'm going to delete that because that's dumb. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> so before we wrap up, <laughs> I want you all to place a bet on whether or not the next time we speak, it will if it will have snowed again here in Iowa. And just to give a little context for those of you who aren't up on Upper Midwestern weather patterns, we have had blizzards like for the past three weeks, and it is April nineteenth. April nineteenth. Um... Uh, so I'm going to go, again. John, do you want to take yes or no? I'll take whatever the one you don't pick. Oh, gosh. Um, it's a hard, it's a hard question to guess at. Um, By the way, did you ever post your March Mammal Madness thing so I can figure out what the points tally was? Oh, oh yeah. No. Nope, I, I never did that. that. Okay, I'm just gonna assume I won then. Uh, Grace, did who 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 had to wash the most bottles? Uh well, everyone except for my postdoc, uh, Eric Moody, who won in a landslide victory. <laughs> so it was it was pretty depressing. All right, John, snow or no snow? I'm gonna go snow. All right, I'll take sorry, no. Grace. All right, well, I will update you all the next time that we speak. If I'm screaming, you'll know the answer. Is uh, hold on. Is there is there a <laughs> threshold on the amount of snow? Like, no, you get any snow, any Flakes snow from the sky. Okay, I'm pretty sure we're talking about Iowa at the end of April. Any snow is going to make us scream. Like, <laughs> we're just done. <laughs> Ready to change the oh. white for the yellow and green of the cornfield. That's right. <laughs> And the blue-green of the lakes. <laughs> mm, delicious. Are you going to publish your Iowa Lake Rainbow pictures again this year? Yes, I am. Awesome. Yes, I am. Everything from clear to green to pea soup. Love it. Uh. Well, if you want to see that, you can definitely pay attention to our Twitter feed, because we're going to feature that again 
and that's major underscore revisions. We also have an Instagram, which has nothing on it yet because um, I'm lazy, but that's also major underscore revisions. And you can check our website, which is majorrevisionsshow.com, and you can find us wherever fine podcasts um, are uh, hosted or just iTunes and Google Play. Remember to rate and review because that's really cool. John Grace, do y'all have anything else? No, just have a great evening, and I hope you don't get snow. No snow, no snow. No you snow. want the snow because then you win the bet. I don't know what the bet is, John, but you pick snow. I did pick snow, but I don't so want you snow root here. For the snow. I just oh. want snow for Grace. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> we have a freeze warning tonight, which is weird. So all the um, trees are bloomed in. So we're gonna freeze. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Well, on that note. Have a lovely evening, y'all. Enjoy it. Bye. Climbing trees, how the lights since we were children.